You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We're going to be looking today at the 2 Corinthians passage that was just read a few moments ago. It's page 970 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along in your bulletin, whichever you might choose. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a moment where you feel completely and utterly incapable of doing the task in front of you? It was so, it's so big that you just can't fathom accomplishing it. Your weakness in the moment seems to be magnified and left to your own strength. There's simply no way to accomplish what you would like. Several years ago, uh, we lived in central Florida and I had a group of men that would gather uh, early in the mornings a couple of times a week and, and we would get together and we would, we would exercise and I'll use quotation marks there, we would exercise together. We would do some things, maybe run, maybe do some uh, you know, boot camp type things. Really, it was, we were there together to, for the camaraderie. We wanted to be together and enjoy just time together and we'd get up early in the morning to do that. But then all of a sudden we had this crazy idea that we should train to do one of those mud run obstacles. You ever heard of those? Yeah, uh, I don't know what we were thinking. This one was the introduction one. It was a, a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, and it had 13 obstacles along the way that you had to complete in order to finish the race. Now add to the fact that half of those obstacles were water obstacles of some sort, and it was going to be in February. And even in Florida, February is a little chilly. And so we began to train and train and train the best we could. And finally, the day had come. We show up to the race. We're ready. We're waiting for the gun to fire to begin. And there it is. We're off. And, and, and we look out, and all of a sudden, all we see is just green grass. No obstacles. All seems well. The first three quarters of a mile, nothing to it. We've trained well. And then the first obstacle come, and, and it didn't look that, that hard. It, it was basically like taking you back to your childhood, a giant mud hole that you had to climb through. And we were excited about it, and we hit the mud hole at full steam ahead. And it was up to probably our waist that we had to get out of. And I remember stepping down into the mud hole, the very first obstacle of this race, and lifting my foot out and my shoe disappearing into the mud. And I sat for a couple minutes trying to find my shoe, but it was hopeless. I had a choice to either run the rest of this race without a shoe on or to quit. And I was not a quitter, so I decided, well, here we go. One shoe on, one shoe off the rest of the race. And so I'm limping through obstacles and running, and all seemed to be okay. I was managing until I got to what was almost the end. And here is where my weakness set in. I looked and there was about a 24 inch deep tunnel that was pitch black that you had to climb through that was probably about 30 yards in distance. You couldn't see anything in front of you. You didn't have flashlights. You had people going through it with you, but you would run into them. If you went too fast or if you went too slow, they would run, in front, run into you. And I began to freeze thinking all of these fears of being buried alive or unable to breathe or not knowing where I'm going hit me and I had a choice do I keep going in my own physical strength I didn't feel like I could I look back on that moment and I can draw the parallel to my spiritual life at times 
I mean, I paid money to be in this race. It shouldn't be this hard, right? How many times have we said that to God? God, I'm, I'm following you. I'm part of your family. Why is being a disciple of yours so difficult sometimes? I think that's where we find Paul this morning. American Christianity has oftentimes been marketed as something that allows us to escape weakness and trial. Yet Jesus lived and preached a life counter to that very idea. And now Paul in 2 Corinthians doesn't just give lip service to suffering, but he actually calls the people of God to rejoice in such a thing. Now, Paul, how are we supposed to rejoice in suffering and find joy in painful situations? Well, he gives us the answer in Romans 8 when he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It is to this point that Paul says in the first few verses of chapter 12 in Corinthians today that he cannot boast in himself, for if he did, it would be to boast in sin. And therefore, we and he must boast all the more in what Christ has done and what Christ is doing in us. We understand that a committed life of being a follower of Jesus is one that involves continually putting to death the desires of the flesh and seeking after Christ. To boast in our weakness, not as a false humility, but sincerely with the intent to see Christ become greater and we become less. So I want us to see this morning what Paul has in mind when he says in verse 8, the power of Christ is made perfect in my weakness. There are three things that I think we can answer from the text. And so if you're type A, here you go. Here's where we're going this morning. What is the weakness? What is the source of such a weakness? And what is the purpose of such a weakness? I ask these three questions, not only because they're the ones answered in the text, but because knowing these things and being reminded of them in our hearts as God's truth will give us strength to live and endure and often even to thrive in the midst of weakness. So first of all, what is the weakness that Paul has in mind here when he says the power of Christ is made perfect in our weakness? His definition of weakness is found in four places or four words in verse 10. He says this, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Insults, when people think of clever ways of making fun of your faith or your lifestyle. Hardships, when circumstances are forced upon you and reversals of fortune against your will. A situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan on it or think of it, but indeed you're there. Persecutions. These are wounds or abuses or painful circumstances or acts of prejudice from people because of your Christian faith and your Christian commitment. Or calamities, difficulties or troubles that tend to overcome you with stress or tension. What I don't believe Paul is saying here is he refers to this thorn in the flesh that he begged Jesus to take away. I don't believe he's saying that these are sins or our behaviors that we bring upon ourselves. It's not a struggle with gossip, eating, or lust, which are all sort of weaknesses. But he's not saying the power of Christ is perfected in my poor choices or that I'll all the more gladly boast in my bad decisions. No, weaknesses are not imperfect behaviors. 
Christ can and does show grace in those times, but that's not Paul's reference here. He says it's for the big time suffering for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus. The weakness or the thorn in the flesh are the things we would get rid of if we could in our own human strength. So to answer the first question, weaknesses are not sins, but experiences and situations and circumstances and wounds that are hard to bear, that we cannot remove either because they are beyond our control or because love dictates that we not return evil for evil. Secondly, what is the source of such weaknesses? Well, Paul says in verse 7, a messenger of Satan had been sent to him to torment him, to harass him. So one clear answer is that some of these weaknesses, if you will, these calamities, these hardships, they come from Satan. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that Satan, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But is, is it simply Satan? Is it all Satan? Satan's not the only one at work here. We know this because God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. God is at work as well. This thorn is not just the work to destroy. It is the work of God to save. The work of God to save for two reasons. Paul describes the purpose of the thorn. For him was to prevent pride. Satan's whole design is to produce pride, not to prevent it. So Paul's revelation made him vulnerable to pride and self-exaltation. So God uses the hostile intentions of Satan for Paul's holiness. Paul makes reference to this earlier in verses, to his sufferings and to his possible pride. In chapter 4, when he says, suffering, but God is exalted. In chapter 11, pride, but God is greater. The other reason we know the thorn is God's work and not just Satan's is that when Paul again prays, God, would you take this away? God says, my power is made perfect in this weakness. In other words, I have a purpose in what's happening to you. This is not ultimately Satan's destroying work. It's ultimately my saving, satisfying work. As ministers of Jesus Christ, the thorn that Paul speaks of is a gift from God. I'm reminded of a man who wanted to try to make a deal with God, and he says to God, if you'll make me smart and wise, I promise to give you all the credit. God's reply back to him, how about I keep you a fool so that when, something, when you do something, people know that it's certainly not you that did it. Paul is, is saying, Lord, take this away, and God is saying, but my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. I think about a, a turtle. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, the turtle didn't get there by himself. Somebody had to put him there. That's God working, I think, in Paul's life. Hey, it's not you, Paul. I'm going to work. I'm going to do the work. And to, other, to, to some who would see the turtle on the fence post, you might think that is a, a deeply theological thing, but to the turtle, it's quite simple. He didn't put himself there. Finally, what's the purpose of such a weakness? Is there a goal or an aim of why these weaknesses or these hardships and calamities and these insults come? We've already hit around it, but let's be clear. God's purpose in weakness is to glorify the grace and power of his son. This is the main point of verse 10 when he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's design is to make you a showcase for Jesus' power. But it's not the way the world demands. 
And it's not the way oftentimes we would like. He didn't get rid of all the weakness, but by giving strength to endure and even rejoice in tribulation, we proclaim Jesus as our top priority. Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaks of uh, another um, glorifying of God and glorifying of Jesus. He says in verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, that he might be the top. Nothing above him. Nothing else to gain. Nothing else to get. The goal, the end, what it's all about is Jesus. That he would receive glory. Our culture has oftentimes been fed lies that we serve a God who's out to get us. Not a God who wants to work within our weaknesses. Or that following Jesus fixes all of my problems And now my bank account will suddenly be overflowing and I'll never struggle with pain or depression or illness again. The message of the gospel is not that following Jesus is going to instantly make everything right. But the message of the gospel is he is enough. He is enough. It's not that everything's going to be okay. The finality of glory is that it all will be redeemed. But in the meantime... When following Jesus is difficult, when being a disciple of Christ is challenging, is he enough? That in my weakness, Jesus is getting the glory because he is sufficient for me. The ultimate purpose of God in our weakness is to glorify the kind of power that moved Christ to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. Paul said that Christ crucified was foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who were called, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief, but the well-grounded confidence that then what is happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe the glorification of the grace and power of his son, the grace and power that bore him to the cross and kept him there. Let me assure you this morning, he is enough. In your weakness, in your insults, in your calamities, in your hardships, he is enough. Jesus is enough this morning. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.